for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here is Deborah Neiman. Today's episode is brought to you by Goats 365, my membership program for people who are living with, learning about, and loving goats 365 days a year. Basic members get access to six courses covering housing, fencing, parasites, nutrition, and health, as well as things like composting goat manure and the basics of starting a goat-based business. Premium members also have the opportunity to attend live online meetings via Zoom to talk about goats every month. Visit goats365.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a really good episode for those of you who are selling goat meat and also any other goat products, because we are joined today by Leslie Sachina, owner of Silong Rolling Acres. Welcome to the show today. Hey, Deborah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was so excited when you contacted me and said you'd like to talk about how you market your goat meat, because... There are so many people who are doing such a fabulous job with their farm and raising their goats, producing their products, whatever it is. But then when it comes to marketing, they have trouble because they're not a marketer and they don't have a background in that. They don't really want to do it. I know I was so surprised when I first got started with our homestead and farm that more farmers didn't sell directly to consumers. It just amazed me how many people were happy to just take their animals to the locker and get bottom dollar for them rather than selling them. And then I finally realized like, well, most people who do this do it because they love animals and they really don't know anything about marketing. So I'm really happy to have you here talking about that today. So what is your background? Did you have a background in marketing or are you just a really amazing learner? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like to think maybe a little bit of both. So I do have a marketing background. So when I, in college, I studied agriculture marketing and worked in that field after I graduated more um, in an agribusiness, more corporate environment. But um, I've always had a strong interest in draw to marketing communications. I think this may be true for any profession, but if you have a real passion for it, you kind of get wired for it. Even if you change careers or kind of work in, in different capacities, you still find ways to be tied back to that work. And so for us with our farm, Silent Rolling Acres, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I knew when I wanted to start a business of my own, I wanted it to be a farm because I worked in agriculture. It kind of became part of who I was, but I knew I wanted to have direct market our products because again, my interest in marketing, but also I looked at market opportunity. There's a lot of options and need for goat meat. And that's what led me kind of to that direction of where I'm at today, but also pulling in that marketing background because as you noted before, it's really important to learn how to raise the animals and run run your farm on the production side. But if you don't have a, a market or build a market, you're kind of in a position where you need to figure out what to do or it just becomes a, a really fun hobby. Yeah, exactly. So when you first got started, did you immediately put up the website and all that kind of stuff? Or did, did you have some bumps in the road first? Yeah. So the first few years, well, I was getting the feel of raising goats, which I think most of us kind of have an idea if you're listening to this podcast on how that goes, if you were new to goats at one point in life. But because I knew direct marketing was where I wanted to go, 
I started with a website just with general information about our farm, not as extensive as what it is today. And then I started to do a little bit of social media presence just for awareness of what I was doing. And I was really amazed at how many people started to reach out to me, even in those first few years when I would have loved to support people with goat meat at the time, grazing and brush control work was just like in its infancy. And people were looking for herds to do vegetation management and brush work. And they were finding me because of my website and social media presence. Unfortunately, I wasn't in the position to really serve folks in either capacity just because I was continuing to grow my herd. But I started incrementally. And over time, I've built on what I was what I've been doing to get to where I'm at today. So how did you get started? What was the first way that you sold your goat meat? So the first year we sold to the livestock market in our area that has a pretty reputable goat market. And that was just as we were getting feelers out for where the market would take us. But we started promoting to a customer base. We started slowly with email marketing too, but selling holes and halves to families kind of in partnership with a butcher shop. So like we would sell the goat to the family, if you're familiar with like freezer meat or kind of that type of model. And then they would, the customer would work with the butcher shop to get their cuts. We also sold a few live animals for the purpose of eating as well too. So it, it was little pieces here and there that we were doing while we were getting started. The nice piece about those two options were that we could sell our goats without having a lot of other infrastructure to support retail sales. Um, where now we have freezers and we have storage and shipping supplies and other sales materials and things like that. But by working at the butcher or even selling live animals, you can do a lot with what you just have aside from working on the marketing piece as well. Yeah, exactly. That's what we found too. My favorite way to sell meat is as a live animal that you deliver Mm -hmm. to the locker. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the buyer's animal. So they tell the locker how they want it processed. They pay them. It's just so much easier because you only have to find one person to buy Mm -hmm. a whole goat rather than finding, you know, 30 people to each buy a pound of stew meat and a pound of ground meat and all that kind of stuff. So When people are just getting started, I feel like that's really a great way to start because like you said, you don't have to have that infrastructure or a retail meat license. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I learned pretty quick that I just stuck to selling whole goats, not halves, because what a goat yields is pretty small. So it wasn't really worth my time to kind of coordinate how one goat could be split amongst two families. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people at first, when you tell them like how much a goat weighs, they're kind of freaked out. But then if you can put it into perspective for them, like I tell them, like, you can fit all of that into a picnic cooler. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, really? Okay. And then it doesn't sound so overwhelming. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So what was your um, next step then? Because you probably didn't go like from there to like all the things. (laughs) Yes. So my next step was we started working with a farmer cooperative food hub in our area. So we're outside of the Minneapolis, St. Paul metro area about an hour. And this food hub helped aggregate farmers produce and meat together and sold it as a wholesale distributor into the Twin Cities. And that worked pretty well. A lot of our goats through there, we sold actually as primals. So the whole frozen goat, they might be halved 
And then they would sell them to mostly restaurants that had some type of connection to local foods or other retail services. And that worked pretty well because we could move a lot of animals as we continue to grow. But the the challenge was timing it out when we our goats would be packaged from the the processor to get to the food hub because the whole goat it didn't really fit in a cooler. I mean, it was a big, it's a whole big animal that cut because the buy and buyer would do the cuts themselves. So we had to do a little, make a few things logistically work that way um, that we could still maintain the cold chain and get the animals there. The nice thing about doing that wholesale wise was that our costs for processing were quite a bit lower because it, they weren't taking the time to do the cuts. Unfortunately, that that food hub was like a great concept, but it wasn't able to continue. So we were in a place where we really had to do some shifting of, okay, what what are we going to do next? We were able to maintain a, a few wholesale accounts that we wanted to serve. But at that point, I decided, um, let's take a chance and do package cuts, or at least dabble in that area. So I decided to have four goats processed, cut and packaged, and get a freezer on our farm inspected. So we could sell and that kind of opened the doors for us selling cuts of meat individually. And I was like, I was pretty hesitant about wanting to do it, but it was kind of like, we have to go somewhere. And I think sometimes when you're in a situation where you have to make a decision is when you start to make more progress in what you're doing. So every state does their, you know, their inspected freezer process and your regulations are different, but we were able to have a freezer in our shop. It was like a double door refrigerator freezer that I could designate that freezer. So it's just a little freezer to be our inspected freezer. So I always tell people that because it's like, it was still inspected, but it was just something tiny, you know, again, to start, I figured if I couldn't sell the four goats, our family could eat them. It's good. And I've learned as we talk, might talk a little bit more about marketing, the more we age and kind of experiment with cooking goat, it was easier for me to help teach and educate our customers about goat. So we, that kind of opened the door for selling by the cut. And I, re- I found that there's a segment of, of people who want to buy in bulk, but a lot of people don't want to buy huge amounts of meat or nor do they have the space or put up the money up front. So I found that as we started selling by the cut and we'd bundle it into options. So it wasn't maybe one piece here and there, but we actually started to sell a lot more cuts of meat more than I thought we would. And that kind of started the doors to progressing to where we were at, but we had started just with like a little form on our website so people could you know, request what cuts they were interested in and when they would make come and pick up meat from our farm. It worked, it kind of streamlined things. But eventually I knew that in order to make this work and not make myself go crazy with emailing people back and forth, we eventually moved to e-commerce to streamline that process. And it once we started to offer sales online, and that included for farm pickups. So we do survey our customers here locally, but also we'll ship product. But once we gave people the option to make it easy to buy from us and accessible because goat isn't very accessible. Our sales really have increased and I still have to do a lot of marketing, but it was humbling to kind of see some of this start to progress in a market that is still pretty new. When you think about the US food industry and as an animal protein, even though goat is popular, it were it's still a pretty young industry just because there's not a lot of effort like there is on with other animal proteins like beef or lamb or pork and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And most Americans have never had goat. I, most mm-hmm. people, when I you know talk about goat meat, most people say they've never had it. And what does it taste like? And 
I mean, how can you say what it tastes like? You know, <laughs> I think it tastes a lot like our grass fed lamb, but then most people who've had lamb haven't had grass fed lamb. So they mm-hmm. don't know what that tastes like either. So yeah, it, it's really nice if you can offer cuts because making a one pound commitment versus, you know, 30, 50, 60 pound commitment, it's a lot easier for people to say yes to. Mm-hmm. So then you started selling cuts on your farm. And then what was the next step? Yeah. So we sold cuts on our farm for a few years and then we decided to do some tweaking of our online website and make it a little bit more streamlined. I look at things from a customer standpoint, like how can we make things easier for them? What questions do they have? How can we help them make their journey or their decision if they want to buy goat meat easier. And so some of that was looking at doing that with the website in terms of the type of platform we were using and so forth. Last year, one of our bigger projects that we started was our farm club, which is our subscription box club. So it's a quarterly meat box that customers can pick a variety of options they can buy. It's the only way we sell a whole goat which the whole goal is literally me picking the parts for my my walk-in freezer to assemble um, what would be equivalent of a goat and then some different variety box options. And it's been a way for us to serve customers on a you know, more regular basis, but give them a little bit of a, a variety of perks, you could say benefits for committing to us that they're going to make purchases on a semi-regular basis so that they get some benefits on on shipping rates and and price breaks compared to what we might sell, you know, just a la carte if somebody were to come shopping. This is like year two with our farm club and I'm working on some fun digital components pieces to it now for this next year. Um, because as direct marketers and or farmers who sell direct to our, our customers, Part of what people are buying, not just the meat, it's also buying that experience and that relationship and that value with their farmers. So those are some other components that were are coming into play. But the farm club has been really great on my end, being able to plan and know like what I can account for as I back out and look at what we have for a crop of kids, you know, when they're born and kind of plan ahead for the next year conservatively of what that on the hoof might look like in the freezer. And it's been a really great addition to kind of helping me manage our sales. And then we kind of fill in from there beyond that with our other, you know, one time or repeat sales, but maybe not as frequently. I love the fact that you call it farm club. That just sounds so friendly and everything. Really, it sounds like a meat CSA though, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a meat CSA with really no commitment. So people sign up for their option of when they want and frequency and they can pause or cancel at any time. But I think if people have the freedom to adjust when they need to, so like we, I always have to account for that. We could lose some members, but for the most part, people have stayed on. And so it's been good that way. But yeah, CSA, it's definitely similar to a CSA model. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. So if we talked about all your products now and and the way that you, you sell them, Yes, because most most of what I'm selling is um, a few years ago, we were more heavy into wholesale markets and starting to grow our direct to consumer. And that's been kind of a gradual increase. But now we've really flipped where we are probably about 90, 95% direct to consumer, about 5% wholesale market. And our, our wholesale sales have been partners who have been like a pretty good match in terms of values 
because we're a small farm, we also rotationally graze and have a lot of other practices in mind in terms of the context and the environment where we, how we farm and where we've had good partnerships for wholesale partners have been like farm to table style restaurants, food co-ops. Um, but even now we've kept that pretty hyper local just because it also gives us a little bit of a boost with marketing because people can try us out without necessarily having to buy from us directly as well. But those are our main our main outlets now. And we just focus on those where before when we started, you know, we sold some live animals and we did some other things too. But as we increased our sales, we, I found that it was easier to start to narrow in what we were doing just for sake of managing things and communications and my own personal life outside of the farm, even though I love the farm. Yeah. And so with selling directly to consumers with with cuts rather than a whole animal that they're going to pick up at the locker mm-hmm. themselves, you've got to think about packaging. So can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about your packaging and how you, how you handle that? Sure. So our packaging, it's all um, vacuum sealed and clear plastic. We've been fortunate to be able to have access to a USDA processor who will do that for us. And we have our name on the label. It's not a fully branded label. We do have our name on on the label. And I like having that clear packaging because if you think about your experience or customer's experience in the grocery store, they can see what they're getting in the package. It's kind of a familiarity. It gives them, it helps them visualize it more than in the paper. So that presentation has been really helpful for us, but that's kind of the piece that's been useful for us. I do like when we bring in meat from the butcher, then I will go through and typically when I inventory, I will pull out packages that might have had seals popped and things like that, just because with bone in cuts, sometimes you can't get away from, you know, having some packaging issues. So we do have a little bit of loss on that, that I usually will set those products aside and use them for recipe development. And I'm kind of working on some other value added projects that we might use with them in the future. It's all good and neat, but it's just when I look at like presentation and first impressions, it's not something I want to sell to my customers. If I have some people who might come out and visit me and I, I've worked with before, I might sell it to them half price, but it's not something that's on my, you know, I don't have like a, a deal page of selling my, you know, the packaging. If it has a pop, then sometimes gets crystallized. And so it's, that's like one sometimes a little bit of the downfall of the clear packaging, but from a marketing and presentation standpoint, it's still, is definitely the way to go. Yeah, exactly. We sell eggs at a food co-op. And so we have an egg license and it's even a rule. Like you can't sell eggs that, you know, have stains or even cracks that can't be seen with the naked eye. Cause I mean, that's part of candling is that you see cracks that are not otherwise super obvious. So we actually never eat any quote unquote good eggs. (laughs) Like there's, there's always more than enough eggs that are stained or cracked or something that we wind up eating ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I know exactly what you're talking about with uh, (laughs) eating this stuff that's like, well, can't sell this. Okay. I guess we'll eat it. So once you get your packaging done, then you have to also think about the marketing specifically. So Mm -hmm. many people that I meet think that build it and they will come. So they think, oh, all I have to do is hang out a sign on the road or put up a website or or put up a Facebook page. And they expect like everything's just going to fly off the shelves. And then that doesn't happen. Then they get really disappointed and discouraged So can you talk a little bit about what you have done to find customers? 
Sure. So because all of our sales go through our website, and I, this would be true even if we had more of a in-person transaction sales experience, like if we were at a farmer's market or things like that. But I put a lot of emphasis on digital presence because nothing can really take away the power of meeting people in person and having those interactions, but we're not around our customers or prospective customers every day. So that's where digital comes into play where you can have more touch points. And I really focused our communications and marketing with our website and our email marketing at the core of what we do. And then from there, I kind of feed out what we do to utilizing with social media and um, some other strategies we've, we've dabbled in. But our website Aside from like products, we've done more recently more emphasis on search engine optimization. And it's, that sounds like a big word, but it basically it's how Google helps people find you, kind of helps you get met with the people who are trying to find people or your thing. And it takes a little bit of work, but when you start to put some of those search terms and categorize some of those things into your website, it can really help Google and Google search do the work for you and alongside some of your marketing. So that's been an area where we've been putting more emphasis in because I've been finding that as I look on the back end of our website and even like our Google search analytics that more and more people are finding us through Google search, which is kind of refreshing because it's told me that as much as social media is important for relationship building, it's probably not as important as what sometimes we put our emphasis and our time on it. I'm not saying that we farmers shouldn't be using it, but um, our website has really been the most important thing. So whenever somebody's asking for more information about our farm or what we sell, I encourage them or point them to our website. You know, instead of like going to a Facebook page, I also encourage them to sign up for our, our email list. And we send communication to our email list twice a month. We time it a few days before our order deadline. So we ship our products every other week. So it's kind of timely, but yet it's still, I can manage my life as a the retail operations and as a farmer. And by having some sense of urgency with our emails, that has helped where we could start to associate sales with the emails. And then in our emails, I'm always focusing on adding value to our customers. And I we do sell in our emails, but our emails really are focused on education around and recipes and inspiring them to learn more about the meat or other things that relate to goat meat from like a food and cultural and like experience. And so that's always built into what we're doing within our emails. On social, when we as we use it, I really try to focus on as relationship building and like behind the scenes and like building that trust factor versus like being transactional and salesy. Because I find that like People, if they want to work with you, they're going to figure out how to buy from you. And I think it's easy as a, somebody who sells something, it doesn't even have to be a farmer, but it's easy to think I need to kind of pitch my stuff all the time. And there's a time and place for it, even on social, but usually have to give a lot more than you need to ask for. I was listening to a marketing podcast and people associated direct marketing and sales with um the dating process. Like you're not going to go out on a date with somebody and ask them to marry you, you know, the next day. And I think direct marketing, and that's kind of the approach we've taken is like you looking at how we market and social has been a good place to get people, try to get them on my, our email list 
And then we do more of the sales and, and drive home more value on that emails. I've been doing some experimenting, working with, we're just getting started with text marketing. I'm still trying to figure out what's the right place with that. I have to remind myself that people opt into that. So I don't want to be spammy, but even if people want, you know, say, yes, I want to do that. Then I'm like, okay, I have to remember that if somebody didn't want to be texted, then they wouldn't have signed up for it. So there's some new things we've been trying on that way. We've done a lot in our marketing with building out a recipe library and teaching people how to cook goat. And I found that at first in this space, I was kind of like, what do I know? Because I didn't grow up with goat on how to teach people how to cook goat. Well, I found that by this aha moment, even customers who grew up with goat, they weren't the ones, you know, cooking it. It was mom or grandma. And it's probably more of like a generational thing that a lot younger generation of folks are not as comfortable in the kitchen. And especially when it comes to meat, maybe not as comfortable. There's that piece of like uncertainty with like raw meat and like how you handle it why and then go it's a little bit more expensive so you don't want to ruin it and so I've started to teach myself and do other homework on like how to like cook goat do make creating recipes and really working to um, get a feel of that so I can help inspire and teach my customers how to eat goat you know whether they grew up with it or not or want to eat it and we've we're also starting to work with some local and some other regional chefs and food creators to help us in that process too so some of it is like when i talk about like strategies but then some of it is also this common theme of value and getting people to kind of think about how they can enjoy goat as well i love what you said about facebook and how you use facebook because i see so many people who just think that it is like their free billboard and every single post is selling. Like they say, we're going to be at the farmer's market on Saturday. We're going to have, you know, X, Y, Z, and this is going to be the prices and hope to see you there. And like every other post or all the posts are selling something, you know, it's just like we sell this for this price and we sell this for this price. And that's all they post. And people need to understand that social media is for building relationships. Mm-hmm. You're not using it to sell. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I don't need to have a website because I can have a Facebook page. Well, people aren't going to find you on Facebook. If they're looking for something like goat meat, they're going to go to Google, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to say, where's goat meat near me? And not to mention, I don't know, I can think of just several people I know personally that have started to run into issues with social media that is out of their control or they lose access to their business Facebook account. Um, somebody gets overzealous and starts flagging their content. You know, so there's like, you know, you're kind of working on rented ground, not to mention the algorithm, which doesn't always show, you know, to most, a lot of your followers. And it's not necessarily the most animal agriculture friendly um, environment when you go to look at some of their po- posting policies and things like that. So yeah, it's a great tool, but you kind of have to figure out how to use it and make it work for you. Yeah, exactly. People are not usually on Facebook looking for things to buy. Mm -hmm. So your posts need to be stuff that's engaging and fun. And what it really needs to do is increase your no love and trust factor. Mm -hmm. You know, like ask yourself, is this post going to help people get to know me better? Are they going to love me better? Are they going to trust me better as a result of this? And just saying, buy my stuff is not going to fill any of those three needs. One of the things too, I know people run into sometimes when they're selling anything related to animals, because Facebook is pretty much run by dumb bots (laughs) and you're not supposed to sell live animals on Facebook. And so when you're selling an animal product, sometimes depending on how you word it, it can sound like you're selling animals. 
And I was working on a sheep group a few years ago, and we went through a time period where people were having trouble posting wool for sale. (laughs) And the algorithm was just like kicking them off. And somebody pointed out, well, you know, Jacob is a breed of sheep. But if you say Jacob for sale, (laughs) a dumb bot could think you're in human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is a group that's selling wool, but the algorithm doesn't know that. So (laughs) there's stuff you've got to do. Like you said, it's rented ground. And that's the biggest thing, you know, people who do business online, that's why everybody needs a website because like, that's your home base. That's where your, your social media is sending people. And then you want to get them on your email list. Oh, exactly. This has been such a terrific conversation. Do you have any other great marketing tips? Oh, let's see here. Sometimes I think we also get close to what we do every day. A lot of what we talk about or value is teaching people about the food and cooking and so forth. But people still are curious, like customers about behind the scenes of the farm and how things work. And so I you kind of have to have a balance because not everybody wants to maybe associate, you know, pictures from kidding with, you know, some goat chops, you know, in an email back to back. So there's like some delicacy you have to kind of play in that regard. Um, But people still like have an interest in learning and seeing what happens on a farm and thinking about how you can just share your life and your work as a farmer. You don't have to get too into detail or overthink it, but it's, where you can start doing sharing more day in the life or what we've been working on type pieces, whether that's in your email newsletter, even a short entry blog on your, your website, or even on social, it's creating that trust. What makes you separate also separates you from, and I want to get into like saying, Oh, us against like big corporate businesses, but it's like what separates me from some, you know, no faced business, you know, we make it we create those relationships and we're also part of the reason why people buy from us. And so I think if there's ways to build that in, it doesn't have to be as challenging or hard as marketing can sometimes come across as being. Now, also the other piece too, I found to be really helpful for me is planning my content for my email newsletter, actually sit down um, annually and think about topics for each newsletter. I don't actually write it out, but then I will also plan monthly on what that might look like and what I might share on social. And by planning it, it makes my job a lot easier to actually execute. Cause I also find I talk with friends who are like trying to find time to market their products and help with increasing sales. A lot of it is time. And so if you can take some time to plan when you actually have to sit down and write that newsletter or work on posts or do some of those things, you already have like the idea and the concept down and it can make it a lot easier to actually do the stuff in between everything else you're doing as a farmer. So, yeah, exactly. And I love what you said a few seconds ago about the difference between us and big business. And I always tell people, like, don't even think about advertising. Like we can't even come close to matching, you know, an advertising budget for some big corporation, but where we can blow them out of the water is with relationship marketing You know, they don't have the kind of personal story we do. And people a lot of times don't realize they have a gold mine of stuff that they can post on social media, you know, in terms of the photos and just the interesting stories and the videos and stuff like that. And you do a great job with that. So I really hope people go to your Facebook page and see what you're doing there and your Instagram 
because like you said, we see it every day. We take it for granted. And most people who are living in the city love to see that stuff. I really learned this very quickly of years ago when I was in an agritourism workshop and somebody there talked about how she did a thing on Facebook, watch me grow. And it was mums. Like she sold mums in pots in, you know, the spring. And she started posting photos of them from the day she planted the seeds in the pots. And like people love those posts on Facebook. And then when they came to the farmer's market to buy them and stuff, they were like, oh, I just loved your photos of these as they were growing. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, people got so excited about mums. Have they never seen baby goats? They're way cuter. Mm-hmm. Like my little farm page on Facebook has had posts go viral and get tens of thousands of views. And it's always the baby goat things. And you don't even have to dress them up in pajamas. Like you just, <laughs> you don't have to do anything crazy. Like baby goat photos, especially baby goat videos can really wind up going viral. <laughs> mm-hmm. So where can people learn more about you? I know you've got a couple of great websites as well as your Instagram and Facebook that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So people can find me on my website as we talk about websites for our farm. Our customer facing farm is CylonRollingAcres.com. So if you want to take a look at how we're selling our meat and the farm club I talked about, our education and cooking resources, that's all on there. And then I have another, like a sister website to that. That's called GrazingWithLeslie.com. And on there, I have basics with raising goats, but a lot of content related to marketing meat goats and direct marketing resources. Also, we rotationally graze goats. So there's a lot of grazing and regenerative agriculture resources on there. Um, And in fact, if people are interested in learning more about those two pieces from like a business strategy or management strategy, I do have an email list on the Grazing with Leslie website that they can take a look at and some other free resources as well. Awesome. And then your Instagram and Facebook page are both under Cylon Rolling Acres? Yes, they're both under Cylon Rolling Acres. Okay. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes so people can also access it there. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. I always love it when I see somebody who has a successful go business and who's really rocking the social media and the website and everything. So people can learn so much from you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Deborah. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit ForTheLoveOfGoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Love Goats Podcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.